Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Tell Us a Good Story. Today, we have an amazing conversation with a four-time cancer survivor and brain aneurysm survivor, Courtney Clark, who is absolutely hilarious. Oh my gosh, you guys. We have never talked to Courtney before, but by the end of the conversation, Kevin, it felt like the three of us had been friends for years. It did. And I want to now go buy some cowgirl boots and go visit her down in Austin. Gosh, she walked us through her cancer and brain aneurysm journey, plus surprised both of us when she told us how she got cancer. Oh my freaking gosh, that shocked me. And she talked about her experience with sharing the stage recently with Peyton May at a conference. You guys, we cannot wait for you to hear this amazing conversation with Courtney Clark. I'm Kevin. And I'm Stephanie. And during our marriage, we have dealt with an electrocution, a brain tumor, brain surgery. Then doctors telling us that children were not in our future, followed by miscarriage, and then Kevin's cancer diagnosis. However, today we live a life completely healed and restored with three healthy children who doctors said were not possible. And we're here to tell stories that inspire, give hope, and brighten your day. Welcome to Tell Us a Good Story. This episode is being presented to you by Luby Companies, a custom home builder here in central Ohio. Let them be your builder for life. They're freaking awesome. Steph? Best friend. Are you? <laughs> you my best friend. I'm so <laughs> You're already excited about this conversation. Oh my gosh. She literally got on here like three minutes ago and we've already started telling each other how beautiful each other is. And she's stunning. She's called me her best friend, which you know is my thing. I love that. So I'm super excited about this. Friends, our next guest is an expert on the topic of resilience. After multiple battles with cancer, she has dedicated her life to helping others overcome adversity and be resilient. Her third book on this topic is called Revisionary Thinking and is scheduled to hit the bookstores on May 17th. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to tell us a good story, Mrs. Courtney Clark. Oh, Courtney. That's new best friend. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, new best friend. Well, first off, thank you for saying yes to us. And I am shocked, Courtney, at the number of commonalities we have. Okay. So with me. They're not good commonalities. Well, okay. They're really we're, not. We're born the same month. That's fine. In August. Uh -huh. I believe we were born the same year because we went to college the same exact time frame between 97 and 01. That's okay, though. So All far, right. that's fine. So that's good. It goes downhill after this. Yes. The bad <laughs> commonalities is, well, this is a good commonality. We're both cancer victors. There you go. That's right. Victors. I like that. And well said. And the common theme with you, you both have had brain surgery, which is amazing. So there's a lot of things we all have in common here. Mm -hmm. So Courtney, let's go ahead and start with your background. You were first diagnosed with cancer at age 26. And I've had this conversation with a lot of people about what it's like when a doctor tells you for the first time, you've been diagnosed with cancer. And of course, it didn't happen to me at age 26. But can you share for folks what that moment is like? For me, it's of course, that sense of disbelief, like there right. must be a mistake, they must yes. be reading the paperwork wrong, it's got to be somebody else. And and this might help me, maybe, I jump right to, I want to understand the information. What can I do? What decisions are mine to make? And how do I fight this? Sometimes there's not much you can do. But in the world of cancer, it's like you can't control the cancer, but you can control 
understanding the diagnosis. You can control choosing your doctor, choosing your treatment method. And so turns out I'm a control freak and I didn't know it. <laughs> uh, but getting thrown into you know the shark infested waters, I realized like, okay, I really do like to at least control that I can control even when that's not very much. With all of that is you got to control your attitude. You can control your attitude, how you are looking yeah. at the whole picture there. I was just saying, Courtney, being a control freak, like she said, gets a diagnosis. Nope. I don't like this doctor. Let's go <laughs> Let's to the next doctor. Yeah. Next one. What's he got to say? I mean, it's like dating, right? You can't, you can't marry the first one you date. Um, <laughs> I have discerning exactly. taste, y'all. So, <laughs> so age 26. You were diagnosed with, is it melanoma? Melanoma, yeah. So it was kind of on the cusp of stage one to two. And then it came back a second time and a third time. And just a year ago, a fourth time, which is wild. That's not very common for it to happen, especially for, you know, I never sunbathed, went to teening beds, any of those things. And skin cancer is one of those where there's a little bit of judgment, kind of like lung cancer. I have a lot of friends who've had lung cancer and they're like, I wasn't a smoker. Like they feel the need to let you know that it wasn't their fault so that people don't judge them. And I found out just within the past couple of years, the reason for my cancer, and that is that I actually was exposed to a lot of toxic dust from the World Trade Center. No. Yeah. Weird. You're talking about seeing things in a positive light, Stephanie. I joked with my husband like, wow, I got terrorist cancer. Um <laughs> That, you know, that's like, what are most people's biggest fears? Like cancer, terrorist attack. Like I got them both rolled into one. I got terrorist cancer. Um, But joking, having a dark sense of humor is the one way that I cope. So where were you? I'm going to say, you just threw me a curveball here. I did not know that. So yes, where were you? I had just graduated from NYU in May of 2001, which, you know, since we seem to be the same age. And I started my first job in Soho was still still living in New York City. And so I was at my work and the first plane had hit tower two and we had kind of all gone out and shoot. We actually saw um, the explosion when the second plane hit. And of course, at that time, and for several weeks after they were all saying, it's okay, it's okay, you know, we're going to be okay. Like the the worst is over. The, the dust is fine. Don't worry about this white dust that's everywhere. And we now know, of course, did have toxicity in it. So how far away is Soho from where the World Trade Center was? It's about 16 blocks. What they count, what the government counts as like being a survivor of the World Trade Center is within that mile and a half radius. So I was just a little over a mile away. So the first one goes down, you go outside. Is it just black smoke everywhere? Like, what do you do? No, we were far enough away. So we were looking down like 6th Avenue and it looked like a movie set. I, my colleagues and I kept remarking to each other, like, it looks like Bruce Willis is going to come, like, riding Save up everybody. here any minute. Like, where's Will Smith? <laughs> and that is what it felt like at the time. Like, it just, it wasn't real to be seeing this. And so, the you know, there was smoke coming out of the building. And it, it, we were far enough away that we missed some of the up-close tragedy, for which I will always be grateful. And so we just, you know, watched this smoke, like, billow out of the building. And then all of a sudden, it's just like, like dominoes, they just disappeared from the skyline. Thinking back about September 11, 2001, it brings up stuff for me. But at the same time, 
it answered some questions. Like my family is, has been historically pretty healthy. I'm the oldest sibling. I have a younger brother and then a much younger sister. And the joke is like, I'm the beta test because <laughs> I have all this like health stuff. And it turns out the cancer, the asthma, that all happened because of September 11th. So like I wasn't broken. I got broken. Uh, so all wow. this stuff I felt about like, oh, I just got this crummy body. Like I didn't. It happened to me. And so when my husband first saw this information um, on the news, he was hesitant to tell me because he didn't want to upset me. And I was like, this actually makes a whole lot of sense. And it makes me feel better. Well, it's like a weight's lifted. There's like a relief. Like I have answers now. Yeah. There's always, I think, a little extra trauma and uncertainty. And so when, when you can say something happened, even if it's for a bad reason, but when you can kind of point to like, okay, this tracks to this, which tracks, okay. Um, having a reason often helps. So how long ago did you find this out? Like within the last two, three two years? Two years. Yeah. Two, I, the certification process was really long, but um, I got officially certified last summer. Like I got the letter of like, you've had all the tests and talked to all the people and we agree that this is the cause of your cancer and your asthma. Oh my god! I didn't even know that existed. I didn't either. Like you have to have a certificate. Yeah, I know. Well, but they are helping with medical bills. So they nice. want to, yeah, they want to make sure that they can say like, okay, you did work right. there and we've got this confirmation that all this does look like this is the cause. Mm-hmm. So what about your coworkers then? Did they have kind of the same experience or not? I, I don't know because it's okay. so many years have passed. I did when I first found out about all of this, I did contact the company and the person who answered the phone was a colleague of mine back then. And she got really defensive. Oh, no. She was like, are you trying to blame the company? I was like, no, 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 absolutely not. I just, I'm not sure if they're going to ask me for proof that I worked there. Like, you know, and I just wanted to let you guys know. And she was like, well, we're fine. <sighs> okay. Oh, cool. Bye. <laughs> hey, Courtney. Have a good day. Be blessed. <laughs> hey, I'll be honest with you. That sounds like a lot of New Yorkers I've talked to. So that's like a normal day, Courtney. All right. It's a hard life there, Kevin. Listen. <laughs> So Steph, we just moved into a new home. You know who's good at homes? I do. Jay Luby. And? Miss Connie Luby. Yes. They build custom homes. They do remodeling. They do office construction. Steph, if you go to lubycompanies.com, they have a picture by picture here on the portfolio. And everyone is absolutely amazing. I want every one of them. <laughs> I want that one or that one. Oh, maybe that one. The Gorgeous. only problem about lubycompanies.com, it's hard to spell. Uh, there's no way I could spell their last name unless you would have told me. I guarantee they get asked every day, how do you spell that? So friends, it's L-U-E-B-B-E companies.com. Go to that website. Phenomenal pictures of what they do. From new construction to like new renovations, the Luby companies are here to partner with you. They are also a proud sponsor of... Tell us a good story. Okay, so then how long is it until you get another bad report, Courtney? Yeah, it was two years later that the second melanoma happened. But this time, I they were watching me so closely and just taking really good care of me. So we got it really early, stage zero. That's like, boop, no big deal. We don't even have to check your lymph nodes. Like, you're good oh, wow. to go. So that worked out wonderfully until we hit five years. Uh, and then, okay. you know, five years cancer-free, a lot of yes. kinds of cancer. What kind of cancer did you have? Non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Okay. 
Yeah. So for a lot of cancers, right, five years cancer free, that is you throw a big celebration because your chances of uh, recurrence are a lot lower. So I went for my five year visit and I had talked to my oncologist six months earlier, you know, on the every six month scans and visit train. And he, we had talked that at this visit, they were going to kind of do the whole rigmarole. So it was, it had been like three years since I'd had a chest CT. We'd never done a brain MRI. So this was like to graduate me, let's do the whole thing. Do it all. Do it all. And I arrived and I got my schedule and there was blood work, chest x-ray, visit with the oncologist, no scans. So I'm sitting there with Dr. Ross and I was like, Dr. Ross, yo, what's, what's the deal? And he said, listen, 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 you know, we would only do scans if we thought you had metastatic disease and you don't have metastatic disease, but I just thought you said we were going to get some baseline scans because it's already come back the one time. And like, if it ever comes back again, that way we know where we started. And so when I said baseline scans, I could really tell that I was talking his language and he was like, okay, I mean, yeah, as long as you understand, like we're not looking for cancer. That's not what we would be doing the scans. I said, yeah, totally get it. No, 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 just, just baseline. Just so we have it in the files. And so he sent me for the chest CT, the brain MRI, all of that stuff. And he called me and I, you guys probably both know as people with health issues, like you want to hear the nurse's voice. I was going to say, as soon as he calls you, that's not a good sign. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. The doctor's not you good. You want the nurse to call with your test results and be like, everything's fine. Your next appointment is scheduled for this day. And you just say, thank you. And he called, I was in a yoga class. I normally never have my phone on me in yoga class, but this particular day I see a voicemail and I see a 713 number from Houston, which is where MD Anderson cancer center is. And I was like, huh? And I listened to the voicemail and I hear Courtney. Hi, it's Dr. Ross. And I was like, I put it right down. I, I did a U-turn and I turned around back to the desk at the gym because my personal trainer was also a cancer survivor. And I was like, Heidi, I'm going to need you to sit with me for a second. My oncologist just called with test results. And she was like, got it. And he called and he was like, there's no cancer. So, you know, that feeling of the weight and it is like, oh yes. Okay. There's no cancer. And he's like, but there's an aneurysm in your brain. It's called an arteriovenous malformation. And I don't know what to do because it's vascular. We, do, we only do cancer here. I don't know anybody who does this. And I think you're going to need brain surgery. So I, I called him back and I've never heard the man panic. And, you know, I don't, I don't think oncologists panic very easily, but in this case, he was panicking because he didn't know how to help me. Mm-hmm. So I had to find a brain surgeon myself. And I had three brain surgeries. I, I went back to New York City where I had lived in college and right after. Um, so I moved back from Texas, uh, back to New York City temporarily because I had family there. And I had three brain surgeries. Oh. And uh, the third one was a, a craniotomy. So, so. so your first surgery, were they able to clip the aneurysm? Or no, if you've had three. Yeah, so they planned it that way. They never clipped. So the first two things that I did were what's called an endovascular embolization. They cut into your femoral artery in your your leg, 
right in your groin. And then they go all the way up through the heart, up into the brain, and they start gluing the aneurysm shut. So what I had, this AVM is what it's called. It's a tangle of blood vessels. And so like arteries, which are like hard pumping and veins, which are much more delicate, should not be touching. But when they're on a tangle, they're touching. And that can lead to weakening points, which is an aneurysm. Um, And so they were like, we got to get this out. And so what they did on day one and day seven is they put this glue in there to try and reroute the blood elsewhere for a couple of days. And then on day eight, they went in and they literally just took this whole um, nine cubic centimeter structure out of my brain. My husband likes to say, think of how smart you would have been if your brain had formed for like, that's nine whole cubic (laughs) centimeters that never worked. It was not, think how smart you would have been if that had been working. What a genius. (laughs) Courtney, you explained that so well. You did. I am a non-medical person and I was able to follow that. Okay. My wife here is a registered nurse. So she's Uh, on the edge of the seat, as you can tell, loving every second of this, but that was very good. It was that was that, very it was good. Very People well always said. ask me, it, like, oh, am I, you know, am I in the practice of medicine? I'm like, nope, I'm a professional patient. <laughs> so <laughs> here's an example, right? So when Steph had surgery, how big was your tumor? A uh, grape? Yeah, the size of a grape. Ooh. Okay, so and they went through her nose and brought it out. And, of course, when she came out of surgery, she looked like she had just been in a fight with <laughs> Apollo Creed, yes. okay? Her nose packed and everything. <gasps> and I remember telling Steph, I mean, it's like a week, a week later, I'm like, Steph, that's amazing. These surgeons in modern day medicine, that's like a magic trick, how they pulled that grape out through your nose. And she's like, please tell me you're kidding. Please tell me you're kidding. I'm like, no, like that's a magic trick, how they brought that grape out. And she's like, they went in multiple times and cut it and brought it through my nose. It wasn't a one-time magic trick. Kevin. Like, I'm like, that's amazing. But Kevin, have you ever heard of childbirth? Exactly. Exactly. That's another magic trick. (laughs) All right, Steph, I've got a question for you. What's your favorite book of all time? Uh, Obviously, you met her where? Oh, I thought you were going to say the Bible. Oh, oops. (laughs) What's your second favorite book of all time? You met her where? (laughs) (laughs) A distant second. Totally distant. It's a pretty good book. Sorry, God. It's still a pretty, pretty good book. But we're so excited. Where can people get our book, honey? Okay, I know this. Uh, Amazon.com. Yes. Barnes & Noble. Yes, and? And our website, KevinAndSteph.com. And, and what happens if they buy it off our website? <gasps> what do they get? Uh, an autograph from us. Yes. Who wouldn't want that? So, listeners, if you've already read the book, thank you so much. We've had such good feedback. One thing that helps us, if you can give us a review on Amazon.com, we would greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much, and thank you for listening. So did you have any complications post-procedure from that aneurysm? I, I am so lucky. It was very hard, but not anything that would really count as a complication. Honestly, long-term part of recovery for me was they put me on an anti-seizure Mm-hmm. Again, they put me on this drug and it made me feel kind of drunk. Kepra, this anti-seizure, it like, I guess it like slows down your brain firing and it's supposed to help prevent seizures. And it made me feel horrible. Like going downstairs, I couldn't focus. The stairs would be like, wah, wah, wah. it was so strange. Um, 
I mean, I, it was hard to walk. I was ordered to walk three laps around the kitchen three times a day. And it was just miserable. At, at one point I was in so much pain still in the hospital. Um, and, and then right after I got discharged, I was in so much pain. I was hallucinating just like all day, every day, just, I started hallucinating demons. Mm. Um, my the doctors would round on me and I would look up and their faces were like twisting into these demon faces. Uh, and one time Gwen Stefani was with the demons <laughs> in my room. Like I saw Gwen, I'm not, I like can't listen to no doubt anymore. Um, so weird, just like 10 straight days of, of hallucinating. And my husband and I were newlyweds. Um, okay. My husband is my second husband. My first marriage did not survive the cancer at age 26. I did. Marriage didn't. But my husband and I were newlyweds. And we had not even been married a year when this aneurysm happened. I looked up with him, at him at about day 10. And I was like, I never should have had this surgery. I can't take this anymore. I should never have had this surgery. I should have just waited for the aneurysm to rupture. So I could have died in peace. And that is embarrassing to admit, because I, I know how lucky I am. And for a while, I didn't admit that. But I, I do admit it because I feel like it's important for other people who are str- like, there's a narrative around survivorship. And sometimes people look at somebody like the three of us, they, they could look at the three of us and be like, wow, those people are so strong. And you don't know what to say. Because you're like, I mean, what is my option? So you just say thank you. And then I had cancer again, right? A couple of years later, I, I, I don't feel so strong. I, there's nothing else I can do, but just do. And so then when this happened and I was just so low, I realized that I can talk about it. Well, I think you, you touched on such an important part because people hear cancer, they hear aneurysm, they hear brain surgery, and they're like, oh my gosh, but you made it. You still had to fight. And walk to, through it. Yes, you have to walk through it. Mentally, you had to fight to get to the surgery. And then afterwards, you had to fight to survive the surgery. Not just physically. Like, you survived it physically. But it's mentally. You have to survive. You have to get up every day and be like, I can do this. Even though you're seeing demons. Even though Gwen Stefani is in your room with a doctor. You're like, <laughs> okay. I still, like, Gwen kind of sing me a song during this. Like, I'm going to need some help. Yeah. But honestly, you have to fight fight and you have to know it's going to be worth it, but you can't give up. Yeah. And that's, I I mean, I think that is the key is like, what does not giving up look like? And it's okay if that looks like some days are crummy. Right. I was about to say the four letter words and I was like, I don't know if that's even okay, but that's how you feel sometimes. And uh, that really has to be okay. And I hear I was a newlywed. I couldn't take myself to the bathroom. My newlywed husband had to take me to the bathroom and wipe my tush. I I went from running my own business to not being able to wipe myself. That's humbling. Mm -hmm. And going through something like that, I mean, of course, it, it strengthened my marriage, thankfully. But that was a tough lesson to walk through, to rely on other people in that way, um, to be that vulnerable. So when you had some of those low points, those low moments, you wake up and it's like, it's going to be a day. What were some of the things that helped you get through some of the toughest moments of your life? There is almost a single answer 
And it's not just mine. Research shows that this is an answer that works for a lot of people. So at the time that this happened, the the business that I was running was a nonprofit about volunteerism. So I, I started a little group called Austin Involved. It was helping 20 and 30 something like young professionals in Austin, Texas, where I'm from, give back. So giving small amounts of time and money every month, we'd have a different focused area, different like issue in the community. And so I was attempting to run this from my hospital bed after brain surgery. I didn't do a great job running it. I had a wonderful board who stepped in and helped me. But wanting to get back to that and helping other people, knowing that there were people who needed me in my community, that was what powered me. And after that, I did some research. Um, So my first book, The Giving Prescription, is all about how people can use volunteerism and philanthropy giving to heal from trauma. I mean, that kind of sounds like tell us a good story may have been born out of some of what y'all have been through. So it's really, really common for people to go through a struggle and then be like, I want to give back. I want to help other people. I want to make meaning out of my experience. And so I started doing some research, like, does that always happen? Is there a right way, a right time, a right place? That ended up being my grad school thesis. And so I turned that into my first book. So what I have found is that for any of us, whether you would categorize yourself as a trauma survivor or not, giving back to other people helps us get perspective. No matter how low you are, when you help somebody else, it's this little spark goes on and it's like, oh, I, I look, look what I just did. I just built somebody a house and I just found a dog, a lifelong home. And you go, I really did something powerful there. And then self-efficacy grows like a, like a snowball rolling down the hill analogy. And you go, oh, I did that. Well, maybe, maybe I can do this. So that's to me why giving back to somebody else gives you perspective. So how are you today health-wise? Like when was the last time you had to go to the colleges and get your scans and all that? How are you feeling today? I feel great. I had cancer. I was diagnosed with cancer one year ago this month. I fought cancer in January of 2021. And it was one of my harder ones, honestly. It shouldn't have been, but in a pandemic. So I was not allowed to have a support person with me for the first time in all my cancer journey. I was not allowed to have my husband in the room with me. I just had to kiss him goodbye and walk into the hospital myself, sit in the waiting room, wake up after surgery by myself. There was a nurse with me, thank goodness. And my husband like was allowed to pull around the circle garage and they you know, wheeled me out in the wheelchair and we're like, okay, goodbye. And then I make it home and we all of a sudden have an ice storm in oh, Austin last right. winter. That's uh, we right. don't get that here. Yeah. Oh, y'all in Ohio, your houses are built for snow. (laughs) We don't have that. And we got like a snowstorm and my wound ended up not healing. Like it popped open. Turns out, by the way, when they say light movement, they don't mean 10,000 steps a day. I said, you should have been more specific. I don't understand that. Like to me. Yeah, that's that's a that's a that's bare minimum. Hmm. Don't we all have a Fitbit? Like we all like, have, uh. excuse me, that is the bare minimum. He's like, that's maybe about two thousand steps a day. I said, you really should quantify that better. Uh, so I over I was feeling so good and I overdid it. Uh, story of my life, control freak, and it, I I opened my incision back up and it took months to heal. 
So I'm back to the every six months to the cancer hospital, but I am great. Oh, good. That is good. Friends, we just want to take a moment here to say thank you to all you loyal listeners. Ah, you guys, we just found out that Tell Us a Good Story is now in the top 1.5% of all podcasts worldwide. And that is because of you guys sharing with your family and friends on social media and giving us positive reviews on all the podcast platforms. And if your friends ask, just tell them they can get our entire catalog of episodes at kevinandsteph.com or wherever they like to get their podcasts. Thank you guys so much for listening to Tell Us a Good Story. So, Courtney, I like to give a list of fun facts about our guests to let listeners know some of the things you've done. And I have not shared any of these with Steph, all right? So she may know one or two of these, but feel free to correct me if I'm wrong on any of this. And this is going to spur some conversation. Since Steph doesn't know these, are you doing them like two truths and a lie style? Are you going to (laughs) make up some great stuff about me that even I haven't heard? (laughs) I'm waiting for the bear fight well, to see if that's in there. I used to tell people that when people would ask about like my first surgery, I'd be like, oh, shark attack. Yeah. <laughs> that was the first fun fact right Dang there. It. All right. Yes. Oh. So no, feel free to keep me honest here. All okay. right. Okay. Courtney here is a Christmas nerd. She actually makes her own hand-painted Christmas glassware. We are each other's person. I freaking love Christmas. I have oh, no artistic geez. ability. But girlfriend, I would be there to sit at the table and it's watch decorating. you. So I, I will. I'm going to keep you honest here, Kevin. I don't make it because I have no artistic ability. <laughs> I pay other people who are far more talented than I. I actually worked at a Christmas store in college when I was on break. And so that is where a lot of my Christmassy stuff comes from. A little store just not around anymore called the Cranberry Moose. And all these like cute little hand painted Christmassy things and so, yeah, I have three Christmas trees in my house. <laughs> I love it. Time. That story sounds like something out of Hallmark movie. I knew you were saying that it does, though. Totally yeah. a Hallmark Small movie. town store. girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Actually, no, because I lived in New York, though. I was going to college in New York. So I'd be like the street wise girl who'd forgotten the true meaning of Christmas and needed like the country boy to remind me. That's the place. <laughs> the guy with the flannel <laughs> coming in to save her. Totally. So, Courtney received a theater degree from NYU with a concentration in musical theater. Oh. Yes. So, are you like Broadway type? Is that what you're wanting to do? Yeah, I thought I was going to be on Broadway. Totally. I I went to NYU thinking like, I'm going to be a Broadway performer. I love performing. And I realized by my senior year, I hate the life of a performer. Oh, really? Yes. It's not for me. So, I had all these friends. Many who are still working as professional performers, some on Broadway, like, and they did the audition process with such grace and poise. And I realized I do not do that very well. I had this moment where I said, you know what? I don't want to be famous. I want to be important. And that's different in a way that you, I don't think I could have quantified as a, you know, a kid when you're saying like, I want to go to college. I want to do this. So I realized like, I can't do this whole thing where you audition and and even if you get the part, there's like 85 other blondes and they're prettier than you and they can sing higher than you and they can kick higher than you. And they're standing right outside the door. And if you say the wrong thing to the wrong person at the wrong time, like you're out. I want to go to work at a place where people are like, thank God you showed up. We, we are so glad you're here. So it's like, I, I don't want to be famous. I want to be important. Mm. So at what point 
did you come to that conclusion then that, hey, this lifestyle, all the auditions, it's not for me? My senior year of college, you would think for my poor dad's wallet that I could have come to that realization (laughs) a little earlier. Did not. I think it had to happen then because senior year is where you start thinking of taking what you've learned in the college environment as a learner and then being a professional at it. And I had started auditioning and I did a few, you know, small shows in New York and just realizing I I like the performing part of it, but getting the job is so much more of the business when you're a performer than, than doing the job. Then Courtney went on and got her master's degree in philanthropy from St. Mary's University of Minnesota. Then last July, Courtney earned the prestigious certified speaking professional designation, which is the highest earned honor for professional speakers. Steph, this only goes to about 17% of professional speakers in the world. Courtney, that's amazing. That is incredible. Did your musical theater background help you with professional speaking? Oh, oh, (laughs) my Yeah. I bet. One video clip I saw you singing, right, on stage. Every once in a while, I do sing a little bit. For me, it was figuring out how to tell the story, but it not be about me. Because it's not about me. When I work with a corporation or an association to come in and present a keynote, my journey isn't what matters. It's actually their journey. It's what they're going through. The changes and the struggles and the stressors that they're going through is what matters. So I use my story as like a jumping off point. And so I take them through the journey of my story and then the highs and the lows. And also, I think the theater degree also made me not afraid to be a total dork on stage so that they can enjoy it and laugh at it. Because if I just came on stage, I was like, I had cancer and then I had cancer again. And by the way, I got a divorce in there. And then I had a brain aneurysm. And by the way, I can't have babies. I mean, people would just be like, So how's your day going? You're like, is she trying to inspire us right now? It's the worst motivational speaker ever. (laughs) I know. It's like you had there has to be a journey in there where they can like relate to me as a as a human being that has had more things in her life than just the absolute pit. Yeah. And so it absolutely helped me craft on stage a full personality that people can can see themselves reflected in and then their journeys and struggles reflected in. So then when I get to the prescriptive part, like, hey, I think you should try this. They go, well, that makes, yeah, she's kind of like me. So that makes sense. See, I never thought about that. I thought it was just the prep and getting ready for a performance, your backstage, nerves, anxiety, dealing with that. I never thought about how you frame the story and make it relatable to your audience. That's really good. Yeah, I got to take them on the whole journey with me without overloading them with detail. So as you can tell, she's got an amazing personality. Amazing. Okay. Courtney jokes with audiences that when she's not writing or speaking, she loves spending time with her husband and three dogs, all of whom she found at the Humane Society. (laughs) Is that actually true? It's true. I gave him a good home. (laughs) Yeah, I was the um, PR director for the Humane Society, and he was one of our donors. And we'd met several times and bonded. And then when we first moved in together, we had combined three dogs. Three cats, three birds, and a fish. Yeah, it's like that movie I bought a, we bought a zoo. Yeah, that's us. It's like an Ace Ventura. You walk or, in her house, there's animals everywhere. It's like, oh, wait, yeah. totally, totally like that. We also so bottle feed baby kittens. We sometimes foster little tiny baby kittens that have to be fed by a bottle. It's so cute. 
I mean, that's impressive. Yeah. Jeff is actually going to catch the next flight to Austin. He's coming <laughs> here to hang out with me, Kevin. We'll see you later. Oh, <laughs> Courtney's been featured in some major publications like Forbes, Psychology Today, USA Today, and the Chicago Tribune. She's spoken worldwide about resilience to organizations like CVS, Google, Nike, AT&T, Marriott, Procter & Gamble, Dell, Cisco, and Cardinal Health. Which is in Columbus. When these places call you, are you just like, oh my gosh, babe, you will not believe who I just got off the phone with. Like, I gotta get some new Nikes yes. for, this, I, for this speech. They did give me Nikes. They gave me a pair of Nikes. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. The custom custom sneakers for the speaker. That's awesome. It's, it is. It's really, it's also fun learning about all these different organizations, right? Why did they call me? What did they see? What do the leaders see that they think that the time is right to bring me in? You know, a lot of times it's big changes. You know, mergers happen or hello, we're living in a pandemic and people are struggling to make the necessary changes and, and adapt to reality and what's going on. So it's, it's always really fun to learn about any client, but it is, it's fun when it's like a household name, a brand name client, and you get to peek behind the curtain a little bit. Two years ago. Courtney here shared the stage to speak at a conference with Peyton Manning. Oh, was that so much fun? Yeah, he was really cool. Also on that stage was, um, oh my gosh, Naomi Judd. She oh, also wow. at the conference. Yeah, yeah, I got a picture with both of them. Is he as down to earth as what he appears to be? I mean, like we didn't have dinner. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> Far be it for me to say, but my experience with him is that, yes, he was very humble, very generous, and that really appreciated, like, recognizes that he gets to do what he does because people support him. And I think that's pretty cool. If you like what you hear, please tell someone about us. As soon as this episode is over, go tell your spouse, your closest friend, a parent, a coworker, or share one of our posts on social media. However, if you don't like what you're hearing, please do not. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anybody. Just disregard this message. Don't worry about it. Forget about us. Yep. Go on with your merry day. And to get more information about us or our entire catalog of episodes, be sure to check us out at kevinandsteph.com. Thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story. So last fun fact, as we've already mentioned, Courtney is an author, an expert on resilience. On May 17th, her third book titled Revisionary Thinking, When You Have to Change Your Plans to Reach Your Goals, will be released after she signed a contract with an actual publisher, which is amazing. That is amazing. Congratulations. So can you tell us about your new book that's coming out? Yes. So revisionary thinking is really the culmination of where all my research has gone in the past several years. Because what I've realized when people ask me, like, how can I be more resilient? How can I raise a more resilient kid? Or how can I help you know, my sister be more resilient? Is that to me, a lot of the current conversation about resilience centers around positivity. And what I found is that I don't think it's just about positivity. I think a lot of it has to do with adaptability. So if you're not feeling positive uh, about a big change that's been foisted upon you, like a global pandemic, that's okay. You don't have to try and go find the positivity if you can't. What you can find is this adaptability, this ability to bend and move and change your plan. So what I say is like, you can change your plans and still reach your goals. Um, and in fact, I, I'd argue you have to change your plans 
to reach your goals. Yes. Just like me saying, like, I, I want to be a performer on Broadway. It's unrealistic to say that you can set a goal at age 10 and there won't be any obstacles in your path to achieve it. So you can still keep the same goal or you could change the goal, but still achieve the ultimate goal of I want to help people. And so I, I went and, and figured out with the help of a research team that I hired what the process looks like to rewrite a plan, to revise a plan that isn't working out. And what I'm really excited about is to me, it answers a question, which is that there's a lot of these narratives of like, you have a failure and then it's followed by a big success. You know, we hear these stories of people and like, well, you know, before they were this, they had this big failure. And we love these stories because it, it makes it feel possible to us. But what I felt was missing was what's in the middle? <laughs> what, what happens between the failure and the success, because we're not guaranteed the success just because the failure happens. So what is that? What's that process? And I feel like through research, talking to thousands of people, I was able to help quantify that with this process of moving through three stages, which are let go, think up, move on. And when you move through that process intentionally, that's how you get from the failure or the struggle, the change, whatever it is, to the success that you're hoping for. Oh, that's good. Mm. Well, listeners, for more information about Courtney, you can go to her website, CourtneyClark.com. Also, check out her Facebook page at Courtney Clark Speaker. And her new book will be hitting the store bookshelves May 17th. Courtney, thank you so much for joining us here. It's a real shame we didn't get along, y'all. I, y'all, I love the Texans. <laughs> I just love Texans. <laughs> I'm telling you, she's on the next plane down here for cheese and gelatas. It's <laughs> happening, Kevin. We'll send you a postcard. I'll be the one with the cowgirl hat when I come back. <laughs> Courtney, you're awesome, girl. Peyton Manning is going to be telling a story about Kevin and Steph. Like, you know, guys, they're so humble. It, they are so humble. It was great to meet them. Girlfriend from your mouth to God's ears. Like, Lord, right? receive it. Yes. This was a blast. Y'all are such a treat. Thank you so much. Friends, we want to encourage you to please follow us wherever you listen to this, whether it's on the Apple Podcast app, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or one of the other platforms. You guys, it's completely free. And while you're there, feel free to give us a rating or a nice review. Thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story.